We worship uh, God together, linked in with our church family all across the world at Fresh Life Online, YouTube, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as those at every single Fresh Life location. Come on, could you help greet those where you are not and just acknowledge God's doing something amazing and we all get to be uh, a piece of it, a part of it. And uh, just a couple quick things before we jump into the scriptures. You can turn to Luke chapter 9 if you have a way to get to the Bible before we get there. Uh, just a couple things to throw on your radar. Number one, we have a summer internship coming up. Uh, we every year welcome in interns to serve with us and experience what God's doing from all over, the, all over the country. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. You can go to freshlife.church internship to get information. And we are able to offer, of course, college credit uh, for the internship. And then we're taking applications for our Fresh Life Leadership College. We'll have a whole bunch of new students joining us in the fall. And you can go to freshlife.church slash college and get more information there, the degrees that you can uh, receive, and all the different programs that are available with that. And there's, of course, practicum as well. So it's not just the learning. You're also getting to put it into motion every single week as a part of our church, which is like a, a, teaching, a, a, a teaching college for a hospital, You know, whether you're learning, but you're also getting to do it right away. Uh, so we would love to have you take part in either of those things. Or anybody that you know, maybe God's calling you to take the plunge. And then uh, lastly, on your seats as you came in, you notice we have an envelope there. Uh, this is one of our favorite things as a part of the UN Five Years series. We're giving you space and, of course, the tools to write a letter to yourself that we will mail you in five years. And so we want you, during the, the course of this series, to write yourself a letter. So mine will say, Dear 45-Year-Old Levi. Uh, <laughs> old man Levi is what it's going to say. Uh, of course, I'm 40 today. And what a trip to read that letter five years from now. We're going to hang on to them for five years for the next half a decade for you. And what we want you to do is put an address where you know you're going to get mail. So if you need to put, you put your mom's address, uh, if you are living in a place where you don't think you'll be living in five years, uh, some random person who's super stable, put their address on there and just say, hey, please get this to me in five years. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll track you down, get this to you. We sent these out. Uh, in the, the first week of this year. How many of you all received your letter? For, how, how wild was that? I had an interaction where I ran into someone who I was, I was like, oh, are you excited for the series? And she goes, she goes, I got my letter. And I said, how was it? She goes, I haven't been able to bring myself to read it yet. <laughs> and her face just revealed a sense of, like, I'm not where I know I wanted to be, so I dread reading. And that's, of course, that's not the spirit of it. We want you to encourage yourself five years from now, yeah. but it's sort of like a time capsule. And so at any point in the series, you can get it to us. And if you're watching at Church Online or podcast, write a letter to yourself five years from now. Uh, mail it to us at the church. You can get our, web our web address on the website. And we will, of course, hang on to that. We'll mail them to you as well. We'll hang on to them and get these out. And it's just a really cool thing uh, to get to, uh, to take part in your own future encouragement and sort of a mile marker of where God is speaking to you. So that's going on. Uh, Luke 9. We're going to read a passage of scripture that will really just set the pace for what we want to talk about today in this second installment of the series that we're calling In the Absence of a Crisis. In the Absence of a Crisis. In Luke chapter 9 and following, it says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, 
but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, we're asking the question in this series, what could life look like by 2028? What could my life be like by 2028? How could I, in 2028, be walking in God's call for me? And we all believe, we should believe, that there's a greatness inside of us. There's greatness inside you. There's greatness inside me. Because we were made in the image of God. And he, the Bible says, was dreaming before he created the world, before he laid the foundations of the world, a plan for each of us. A poem, you could say. Literally, that's the word. Poema, the word Ephesians, is used in the book of Ephesians to describe how we are God's workmanship. We're his poem. Y'all, poems don't write themselves. You got to labor over them. And God has poetry inside. If, if, if and when you walk in God's plan for your life, who you will become along the way, it will be poetry. Poetry. Like the way you feel when you see a, a beautifully designed sports car. It's like that is poetry. When you see a stunning sunset, poetry. We, we just feel like, man, that was, that's, that's craftsmanship right there. When you walk into a, a beautiful spec house, it's poetry. It's, 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 it's something that just screams design and intentionality. It's, it's minimal. It's tasteful. It's modern. It's be- You're just like, wow, chef's kiss, right? A wonderful meal. Poetry. Who you are meant to be, what you are meant to become, what you're meant to be in God's hand is meant to be a thing that you and everybody else who observes it and sees it just basically says, poetry. That's God's handiwork on display. And that's what we all want. Not a single one of us want to get to the end of our life and find out that our life, our story on this earth was a tale of what could have been had we only given it our all, had we not succumbed to the reality of just the inertia of life here on this earth. Um, Now, here's the bugger of it all. We know that all of us are capable of greatness. All of us are capable of great change. All of us are capable of, of tremendous metamorphosis. And all it takes is a crisis to prove that to you. What could you do? Because all of us like relate to these guys to some degree or another, who all kind of had, it's clear, some sense of, my heart burns to do great things for you, Jesus. They heard of the miracles. They heard of the ministry. And all of them were like, yeah, we want in on that. I'd love to. to they, they, what did they sense? They sensed a call to ministry. Their, their own particular hearts went pitter-patter for what Jesus was doing. And they looked at their lives. They looked and, 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 and heard about what was happening through Jesus. And all of them, to some degree, wanted in on that. But for all of them, there was, there was reasons to be held back. None of them were good reasons, by the way. And lest you think Jesus is just being harsh here, you're like, dude, the guy needs to go to his dad's funeral. That's legitimate. Okay, you have to understand, his dad wasn't dead yet. (laughs) 
He was basically saying, eventually, when my, when my father dies, because the way they did funerals, it was always within 24 hours. It was a hot place. Okay? You didn't hang on to uh, these corpses long. And so he was saying, let me, let me, let me, let me wait till he dies. After he dies, then the funeral, which, then the 10 days of mourning. Then after that, for sure, I'm going to follow you. This is the, I'm going to do it eventually. I know this is God's plan for me. right Now, don't, don't get caught up in their particular examples, because there's a unique call for your life. And all of us, as we follow God, and we listen to his word, and we're open to his spirit. We're going to hear and sense and know. The Bible says we will know this is the way, and we, we are meant to walk into it, because we will hear that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit calling us, steering us. All of us know God's rumble strips when we get up on them. And we know when we're at a place where we should not be, and, and that peace is just removed from us, right? That's a way of him guiding us in his plan for our lives. And for all of these people, there were reasons, off-ramps, too. I would, I want to do that but. I want to do that but, right? And I can prove to you that we're capable of change, because in a crisis, people leap into action and do things they couldn't do otherwise. Hello, hashtag mama bear, all right? Your child's into the car. You will tear that car off like it weighs nothing, right? If you had to, what could you do? If, like Louis Zamperini, you found yourself on a raft floating around for, for almost two months, what could you do? Well, you could do a lot more uh, by way of diet and exercise in that situation than, than it's easy to today, surrounded by Butterfingers and McDonald's drive-thru. What, what could you do if you had to do it? What could you do if you had to do it to save the life of someone who is depending on you? Right? Changes. I'm bad at savings. I just can't seem to save. But what if someone needed a life-saving procedure? You would find it within you to come up with some cash. What could you do? We, we all, right? Now play the illustration now. All of us are capable, clearly, we've proven this now, of great feats of bravery and greatness if we had to. But the question we're asking today is how do we change in the absence of a crisis so we don't end up like this guy here at the end who wants to plow with Jesus, because Jesus is plowing, right? He's plowing up a field, and you had to plow straight lines. Who wants to plow with Jesus, but is doing so looking back. He's saying, I want to be, I'm also torn here. All these other things that would keep me back. So I want to follow you, Jesus, but I want to do so looking back. Jesus says, you can't plow forward looking backwards. And none of us want to end up with a crooked plow, a crooked line, a crooked furrow at the end of our lives that we look back and go, man, I didn't, I didn't enter into what God had for me. I didn't do what God called me to do. So how do we avoid that? Well, we have to realize that in the absence of a crisis, it takes us generating our own personal crisis on the inside. I like how Tony Robbins put it. He said, change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. That, ladies and gentlemen, is worth writing down. He's talking about your own personal crisis on the inside. It's not a crisis external. It's a crisis internally, where you look at your life and you realize you're not where God has called you to be. And that becomes a greater pain than the pain of change, because all change takes pain. So what am I trying to get you to see? I'm trying to get you to see that to disrupt inertia, it takes, first of all, drastic action. Drastic action. That's heading number one today. It takes drastic action to overcome inertia, because what is inertia? The exact word in the Latin means laziness or idleness. That stands in the way of us and change, us and growth, us and becoming who Jesus intends for us to become spiritually, physically, socially, financially, when it comes to temptation in every way. Inertia, laziness or idleness. 
uh, stands in the way. Now, of course, we are indebted to Sir Isaac Newton for our understanding of inertia. And just because he was a glam rocker back before they had a word for it in the 1600s, let's just look at a photograph of Sir Isaac Newton. I always love to uh, at least bring this out just because, my gosh, style, goals, or what, right? <laughs> now, of course, when we think of Isaac Newton, we think about the apple falling from the tree and his, his groundbreaking research on gravity. Uh, but pertinent to our discussion about inertia, about overcoming laziness or, or idleness, or as these men illustrate, how easy it is to be held back from what God is calling us to by other things. There's a gravitational pull to, to this earth that keeps us from easily putting our, our hearts and thoughts and, and our lives on heaven like we're meant to. We have to overcome Inertia, and that means we need to listen to what Isaac Newton had to say about the laws of motion. He wrote three laws of motion, but the first of which is an articulation of inertia. Inertia. All right, so, so, so don't, don't think just gravity and apples falling, OK? When he talked about, about objects in motion uh, staying in motion and objects at rest, staying at rest, that's what he described as the first rule of motion. But it's, it's understanding that that gives us a picture of inertia. So one more time, a little bit slower. What is the first rule of motion? Objects at rest stay, tend to stay at rest unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. Objects in motion tend to stay in motion unless acted upon. OK, so what does that mean? That means once something is sitting there, that's its desire. This Bible does not want to move. And that's why it's so difficult to improve ourselves. Because once you're sitting on the couch, dang, if getting up isn't a chore, where's that remote? You know what I'm saying? Once the bag of chips is open, this is almost even too much. Right? Once an object at rest tends to stay at rest. And the thought of going to the gym. But then I'd have to drive there, <laughs> circle the lot. Why? Got to find a spot that's close. I can't walk on my way to exercise. Goodness <laughs> gracious. What, what are we, savages here? I need a front spot. At the, oh, the parking lot so full. Objects at rest, they tend to stay at rest. And here, check this out, from, from the Bible to the block, OK? Because this is also something we know from Isaac Newton. The larger the object's mass, the greater the inertia. So it's, it's much easier to break inertia with a small object. It's much harder with a 30-some pound cinder block. Okay, And if you need an illustration of this, imagine kicking a soccer ball versus kicking a bowling ball. Ouch. That's how you break a toe, bro, right? So, so overcoming the inertia of the soccer ball is relatively easy. The soccer ball wants to sit there, too. But the greater mass of the bowling ball makes it even harder to get that inertia broken so that it can be an object in motion. So if I were to interview this cinder block, I'd say, hey, how you doing? He'd be like, I'm doing great. How are you? And I'd be like, I'm doing fine. Also, thank you for asking. It's very polite of you, Mr. Block. I just had one question. What are your intentions right now? He'd be like, hey, I just intend to sit here, and I will do so forever unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. And if I become that unbalanced force and pick it up, I have to disrupt the inertia of the cinderbox plan, which is to remain an object at rest. 
Now, what's so cool about this is if I were to break this cinder block, let's say I were to get a big hammer out, sledgehammer, and break the cinder block, most of the kinetic force and power that's being unleashed upon it by the cinder block. Now, that is an unbalanced force, so it eventually would move, but it would be disrupted by the, just the breaking of the, the cinder block and the in, breaking of the inertia that very little of the force would go into the table. And to prove it to you, what you can actually do is I could, I could lie right here on the ground, and I could put the cinder block on my chest, and I could have someone bring a, a sledgehammer out and destroy the cinder block. And it wouldn't hurt me, because all the force would go into disrupting inertia. And then and only then would there be any power left to go into me. And I'm so confident that I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> but I'm not going to do it just lying on the ground. I'm going to do it demonstrating another very powerful force called pressure. And I'm going to do so lying on a bed of nails. So bring out the bed of nails. And this is awesome. We took a piece of wood, and we put 1,000 nails into it, which some of you haters are going to say it's Photoshop. So let me prove to you these nails are sharp, all right? There we go. The nails are sharp. So when we put that on the ground, Tyan's going to take the orange out, because I don't need orange shoes right now. I'm going to lie down on it, and uh, then we'll put the cinder block on my chest, and we will we'll break the cinder block, and we'll show just the power of inertia. But, but, but see, the thing about the reason the bed of nails work, uh, works is because of another powerful force called pressure. Pressure is force applied to unit per area, uh, to area per unit. Okay, So here, here's what's crazy cool about this. If you take one nail and you impale yourself on it, you have a very bad week. Like The week's going to go bad. <laughs> but you lie down on 1,000 nails, it's a completely different story because the force is applied per unit area. So it's not just all of me on one nail. It's all of me on 1,000 of them. So when you take a balloon, I love science. I love demonstrations. I love that God has given us these things we can understand. And they give us illustrations into spiritual realities. I can literally take this balloon all day long. It's spreading it out over all these. OK, all right, I pushed a little too hard. It would have popped a lot faster on the one nail. Like Bill Nye, the Bible guy up in here. All right, so Bill, Bill. OK, so when I spread myself out, over, and unless you think I got like a bulletproof vest on or something, I'll do it on a t-shirt. We'll put the cinder block on. And uh, instead of just on my chest, to up the ante a little bit, we're going to take another bed of nails and put it on top of me, break the cinder block. I won't feel any of the sledgehammer, I promise you. I will be fine. Kids, do not try this at home. All right, come on out here. Are we ready? I'll put my head on a trusty pillow. What do we got there, Tyan? The marriage devotion. Show it to the camera, though. <laughs> Yeah, all right. So just random product plug. All right, that's my pillow. I just asked for a pillow. I didn't even ask for that. All right, that's, that was their idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing. It's perfectly fine. You like that, John Mark? Perfect. Oh, thanks. Oh, no, it feels good. It feels very good. Could do this all day. We could protect my face. Yeah, there we go. I mean, I don't want to get hit by a shard of cinder block. A firecracker. A firecracker. Hey, too soon, bro. 
You got to set the cinder block slowly, though, right? Objects in motion tend to stay in motion. But objects at rest, OK, so now the cinder block's at rest. It does not want to move. It has no intention of moving. It wants to remain there forever. Go ahead, John Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. We'll see you in, we'll see you in five years. And that is why it's so difficult to change your life. Because so much of the effort just goes into getting off the ground, just goes to starting, just goes to breaking the, the, the power of inertia, the laziness of sitting still, that, that we have to actually have the drastic action at the beginning to even get going. And I want to show this to you in scripture with a verse that was given to me, uh, was shared with me shortly after I gave my life to Jesus as a freshman in high school that really kind of set the tone and the pace for how I was going to run after God. Because soon after giving my heart to Jesus, I began to uh, have spoken over me God's unique call, both by the Holy Spirit as I listened to him and also trusted friends, the voices of people I respected who were also running after Jesus. And that's who you want to listen to, by the way. You, you want to you surround yourself with people who are also running after God and his call for their lives. And so as it began to be clear to me, there was a unique call for Levi, just as there's a unique call for you and what it looks like for you to bring God's glory in the unique sphere he's called you to do so in. I, I, I wanted to get that. I wanted that more than I wanted anything else. And so here's the verse. It's Matthew 11, verse 12. And it says, and I love this. Please write it down. The kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault, and violent men seize it by force. Why? Because the Amplified says they see it as a precious prize. I'm telling you, that's a verse saying it's going to take drastic action. It's going to take, I'm leaving behind. I'm following him. It takes that violence to see some. I'm talking about when you're playing spoons, and you want that spoon. You need that spoon. How many of you could get a black eye at your family's game night if you play spoons? Because the violent sees it by force. Y'all, I'm saying you can't casually follow God. I'm saying there can't be a, yeah, that would be wonderful to follow God. I'm telling you, there's got to be something inside of you, or the inertia of this world will hold on to you, and you will be an old person looking back and wondering what could have happened had you followed God with everything you have inside of you. Because objects at rest. What are they going to do? They're going to stay at rest unless there's force. The violent sees it by force. It's got to be that pearl of great prize that you almost have this, I'll sell everything to get that because I treasure that above anything else that the world can offer me. So that's the principle. Now let me illustrate it to you a number of different ways. Elisha who was given a shot to follow in the footsteps of the prophet Elijah. He worked for his father, Shaphat. Shaphat was loaded. Shaphat had all these teams of oxen that were plowing. And when the call of God came to follow an itinerant, weird preacher named Elijah, do you know what he did? He slaughtered the oxen, and he used their plow to make a bonfire, and he fed the servants to say goodbye. 
Why? There's this sense of Cortez. The, the ships have got to burn for me to follow God's unique call for my life. I think about uh, Gideon. Gideon had this encounter with God where God said, you are a mighty man of valor. And Gideon turned and looked, is there anybody else in here? Because he can't be talking about me. Why? Because God always sees things inside of you that you don't see inside of yourself. What does he see when he looks at you? Greatness, impact, destiny, life change, mighty woman of valor. And then uh, they had this conversation that goes like this. If God's so great, then why is life so hard? And then Gideon says, and if God's so great, and if I'm, I have greatness inside of me, then, then why didn't you go to someone greater? Because there's lots of greater people I know. My cousin's stronger. This other tribe's better. I'm the weakest in my family. My family's the weakest in the tribes of Israel. And he argued with God, who was just standing there like, <laughs> does he think it's every day the angel of the Lord shows up in your barn, bro? Like, you think I made a mistake? You think my, my GPS got lost? I should have used Waze instead of Google Maps? Like, what's the matter here, bro? And, and Gideon has to be convinced. So they have this whole test that goes back and forth. The ground's got to be wet, and the, 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 the fleece has to be dry, and the dry, fleece has to be wet, and then the ground has to be dry. And a lot of people are like, yes, the fleece. I need a fleece. This is a Gideon, Gideon's a reasonable man. Listen, that was a great failure on Gideon's part. That was a great failure on his part that he needed to see before he would believe. Jesus later would articulate it this way. Blessed are those who believe when they have not seen. It's no wonderful thing to need to put your hand into the hole in his side before you're really going to trust him like Thomas. Better just hear, Jesus has risen. He's given me his spirit. I've got a place in heaven. I've got a, a, a jersey on this team. I'm in. The answer is yes. What's the question? That's what we're looking for. But God was patient with Gideon. And, uh, and he called him that night before. He was eventually going to lead the, the, the nation in, in battle. But he said, first tonight, you go tear down all the false idols in the city. You go tear them all down. And Gideon went out that night. He did it under cover of night, for he was afraid. But what did he do? He tore down all the idols so that he was committed, so that the ships were burned like Cortez, so that the plow, there was no going back to life on Shaphat Farms. There would be no going back after this. I've, I've slaughtered the oxen. I, can't, I don't have an F-150 anymore. Right? There's, there's no plan here. There's no He was saying, I have to be willing to move forward at all costs. I got to grab the spoon. And I got to do it by force, because inertia will just hold me back. And how many breaths are there left in my lung? Sorry, little cinder block in my eye. Um, so, 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 so I see that in Jesus, even. You know, Jesus, yeah. What was the first thing he did to begin his public ministry? He flipped over the tables of the money change. That was the first public time he really kind of went into the big city and really began. He flipped over. But what was he doing? He was saying, he was saying uh, this means war. He was going to the mattresses with the religious institution. This really was the beginning of, of his ministry. And at the end, the beginning of Passion Week, he did that again, by the way, flipping over the tables. And then he also raised Lazarus from the dead which was the largest in, in, in sort of scope, visible scope, where he allowed so many people to see something so violent that in raising Lazarus that they would have to choose uh, to take action against him. He knew that would provoke them into having to finally have it out with him. And so he did these things as well, burning the ships, you could say. I see it in Matthew, who was, at, who was named Levi at that time and was sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus walked up to him one day and said, follow me. And Matthew got up from the tax collector's booth, and he left all, and he followed him. It took drastic action for him to overcome the inertia and the comfort 
of that old life and follow. And now, again, I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is for you to enter into, there is going to have to take drastic action. I see Peter, James, and John doing the same thing, walking away from their nets. And only when Peter believed there was no future for him, after he denied Jesus, did he return to the nets. And Jesus once again called him to fish for men. I see Zacchaeus. This is a great example because it shows drastic action while remaining in the industry he was in. When he followed God, he said, I'm taking half of everything I have. I'm giving it to the poor. And then from now on, I'm going to go and search for everyone who I've taken advantage of. And I'm going to give them back four times what I stole from them. Because the Bible says, let him who stole steal no more. But now let him work hard with his hands that he may do good. So Zacchaeus was doing that. And, and from all outward appearances, he remained in the seat of custom. He remained in the job, right? He followed Jesus now as a tax collector, but did so honorably. But he took drastic action to disrupt for there to be a before and after, for there to be a line in the sand, and for him to say, no matter what the future holds, I know this. I'm going to be on team Jesus. I'm going to follow him as I do. That's drastic action. And really, this could be a hot take, but I think that's why Jesus threw that gauntlet down, that Rubicon for him to cross, that he chose not to when the rich young ruler expressed desire to follow him. And Jesus said, you can't unless you deny everything you have is yours. Give it all away and come follow me. Now, there's no indication that that man couldn't have gotten a job again and earned more again. But Jesus knew he needed that in his heart to not be plowing a crooked uh, furrow. He needed that moment. He needed that drastic act. He needed that line in the sand or the inertia his life was headed on would have remained. It took drastic action. Now, now, what are you saying, Levi? I'm saying it takes drastic action to overcome the power of inertia. And I don't know what that would be like for you. I know you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. But I do know it could be as simple as announcing to others and doing so publicly your intention to follow Jesus Christ and to go all in for him. Fast Company Magazine did a study, and they found out that those who publicly declare their intentions are a full four times more likely to complete that task than those who keep the idea private. I want that to sink in. 4x return if you're willing to sort of throw down that glove, if you're sort of willing to drop that, 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 that gauntlet on the ground and to cross the Rubicon like Caesar did and say, if I perish, I perish. We are going for this thing. So even as simple as getting on your Facebook page and saying, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I, I'm, I'm going to follow him. He has changed me. I'm telling you something. You're like, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. And, and yeah, that man couldn't either. And I see in that one of the, the reasons why power is unleashed when people take the plunge and go into the waters of baptism. And you invite all your family. And they're all there. You're saying with everybody here, before the church family, before the world, and before all those that I invited. And what a great opportunity for evangelism. Right? You can really put a little pressure and turn the screws in a little tighter on the day you're getting baptized or your baby's getting dedicated, where you say, hey, look, you got to be here. I don't go to church. I know, but it's for the baby dedication. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. But that, that, that drastic action of getting soaking wet head to toe in front of people and, the, and risking the ridicule, risking the embarrassment. We have one family in the church who planned a vow renewal. And they specifically did so, not because they, they, they wanted uh, to do a vow renewal, but they felt God was calling them to get on a microphone in front of everyone they knew who had watched the inertia of their life taking them one way 
to be able to say, Jesus Christ disrupted everything. And we're terrified, and we're shaking in our boots. But we just want every one of you know, to know, who have interacted with us on any level, we want you to know, though none, though none go with us, still we will follow. Jesus has changed our lives. I'm telling you, it takes some drastic action. Or the ways that you have led in will continue to be the ways that you have are, are become set in. All right, second thing you need to know once you've taken that drastic action is that it takes now steady progression. Just a steady progression. This is where we're slow and steady. This is where tortoise beats hare. This is where we're going to continue to rely and believe in that power of compound interest that Albert Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world. And this is why we say you in five years and not you in 10 months. Why? This is why we say you in five years, because 60 months of walking with Jesus, 60 months of that obedience. If we take the domino illustration, which some of you didn't see, so go back and watch last week's message. By, by a year from now, we're only two and a half, three dominoes in. That's not three feet tall. Right? Even two years from now, the dominoes are still really little. So st the steady progression is where we just say, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm just going to keep following. Now, it's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be huge change. I'm not going to be disappointed when six months or 10 months or two years from now, I look up and go, I don't feel like I'm that different. I don't feel like it's even, it's even working. Why, why, am I, why am I saying that? I'm saying because it takes that steady progression to really grow into, for the, the compound interest to really take hold. I see this in Elisha. Elisha uh, has this big dramatic moment where he has the bonfire like Cortez, the ships are burned, like, whoa, yay, right? But then what? We don't read anything about him for the next years of his life, except one detail is given, and that is that he poured water on Elijah's hands. It's like, bro, I gave up being the CFO of Shafat Farms to be some servant pouring water. Now, when all those years of obscurity are over, he will be a mighty, miracle-working prophet who ends up doing twice as many miracles as the great Elijah ever did, including parting a river with a jacket, taking a mantle and slapping on the waters of the river, and the river erupting in parting. Now, how did he get there? He got there one day of obscurity at a time. And a lot of us will never part the waters because we are unwilling to pour the waters as a servant. Uh, Epictetus, a philosopher, put it this way, and I love this quote. No great thing is created suddenly any more than a bunch of grapes or a fig. If you tell me you desire a fig, I answer you, there must be time. Let it first blossom, then bear fruit, then ripen. Another more modern voice put it this way, and this is hopefully the cold water on your face you need today. It's time someone told it to you straight. You've been bamboozled for too long. There is no magic bullet, secret formula, or quick fix. You don't make 200K a year spending two hours a day on the internet, lose 30 pounds in a week, rub 20 years off your face with a cream, fix your love life with a pill, or find lasting success with any, any, with any other scheme that is too good to be true. It would be great if you could buy your success, fame, self-esteem, good relationships, and health and well-being in a nicely clamshelled package at the local Walmart. But that's not how it works. And I would say to you, the spiritual character and Christ-like formation and development that God wants in you cannot happen 
overnight. And that's why the book of Galatians puts it so well when it says, so let us not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good at the right time. Someone say at the right time. When there's been a steady progression at the right time, we will harvest a good crop if, and this is a huge if, we don't give up or quit. I love that. Because yes, it takes that, that crisis on the inside that's greater than the pain of change on the outside to say, that's it. Enough is enough. I'm going all in. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to unleash this. I want to become that 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 years from now. I have the deathbed in mind. If you haven't spent some time thinking about the deathbed you want, then you're not wise. Because the Bible says, help me to have a heart of wisdom. Help me to consider my end. So a lot of us are just wasting away in inertia in the midst of the throes of one day win, and my ship will come in, and yes, I'll be a great husband, and I'll have this great family. But we haven't actually gone to the end and pictured the deathbed we want and then reverse engineered it and taken the wise steps so we can actually connect those dots and get there. But it's going to take, in between now and then, a long obedience in the same direction, a steady progression. But here's the good news. If we will do those things, if we will throw that gauntlet down and cross the Rubicon and commit ourselves violently to the kingdom of heaven, seizing it as the great possession that it is, and not sit around going, well, yeah, but well, you know, my father dies, and then the funeral, and, and you know, I need to go say goodbye first, and there's clearly a couple of last couple of things I got to do. That just shows, that's why Jesus said the intense things that he did. Cut off a hand. Pluck out your eye. Not because he actually wants you to wear a pirate's patch. All right, been there, done that, don't recommend, all right? <laughs> what he wants is for you to love him so much that your love for anything else looks like hate compared to it, that it really is that pearl of great price, that drastic action. And then follow him. And then what? Come and see. And then what? Just keep going. And then what? Abide in me and I in you, one day at a time, one month at a time. What? Well, I feel the spirit of Rocky Balboa coming over me. One punch at a time. One round at a time. One fight at a time. And then what? Drink some eggs and do it again. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. A lot of people spring up with a great zeal to follow God. But then the sun comes out, and it's hard. The sun comes out, and it's hot. And then it's just, I'm not, it's not really working for me. Maybe I need another church. Maybe I need a different spouse. Maybe I need a different city. Let me tell you something. You can keep looking at the other lawns and thinking they're greener, or you can water the one you're on. You can water yours. And you'll watch that in due time. If you don't get fatigued, if you don't give up, you're going to see that harvest. And if you'll do those things, you can enjoy momentum. Momentum. That's the final of the three headings. You'll get to enjoy momentum. Because Newton taught to us well, and we've been focusing on the first half of the first law. Objects at rest stay at rest. But here's the good news. Objects in motion stay in. Say it with me. Objects in motion are going to stay in motion. It's a double-edged sword. The first law of motion makes it so hard to change your life. But if you will follow God, the compound interest will kick in. You will begin to see fruit. You will begin to see righteousness in your life. And that righteousness becomes a breastplate. And that's why it's included in the armor of God. 
not just the righteousness of Christ that you get to wear like armor. That's true, and that's amazing. But listen to me very carefully. Almost every commentary you will read on the armor of God will point out there is a practical righteousness too. Not self-righteousness, but just over time, looking back, watching the change of who you used to be versus who you are now. And sometimes it, it takes getting bumped to find out what's in your glass. Hey, right? And have you ever had a moment where you just kind of looked at your head and go, wow, I actually grew a little bit? Because that, that would have triggered me seven ways from Sunday, but my reaction was different. Can we just thank God that we can grow? Can we thank God? I'm telling you, church, I am not who I am going to be. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm giving myself to every bit of this, just like you hopefully are too, to this you in five years. But I stand before you to praise God that I am not who I used to be. The same things that used to always get me every time, they're, they're, they're not holding me down like they used to. God's opening my eyes to new struggles I want to grow in. But man, you can grow. And one of the ways that, that, that the righteousness forms a breastplate to cover your heart is, is you'll look back and go, wow, I am, I'm walking in momentum. I'm walking. I feel the wind of the Holy Spirit at my back. I've watched God change me. I've, got, I've watched God use me. I'm battle tested. This is David, not afraid because of the giant Goliath, because he had watched God use him to kill a bear. He had watched God use him to kill a lion. And he said, the same God that helped me fight the lion successfully and fight the bear successfully is going to deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hands. And I'm telling you right now, pick whatever struggle is the hardest for you. I don't, is it lust? Is it alcohol abuse? Is it the, the opinion of people? There's going to come a day when God's going to give you strength facing a new challenge, and you're going to be able to say, just like God delivered lust before my feet, and just got, like God delivered alcohol dependence before my feet, so shall he deliver this, this new situation. Now, some of you aren't, aren't, aren't even cheering because you're like, there's no way I can get over that. But I'm telling you, in Jesus' name, you can and you will. Yes. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And there shall come a day when the great struggle of your life right now is used to encourage you as you pick a new fight, as you take a new hill, as you fight a new battle. And you sort of you build up this steam, the drastic action to get going, and then that just continued. Come on, just be the tortoise. No, we're not trying to impress anybody. It's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be instant. We don't have abs overnight. We're just going to keep going, keep going. Then one day, we're going to feel like there's a critical mass we've reached. And it's going to just be that much easier to trust God for the next, and trust God for the next, and trust God for the next. I mean, it doesn't take me the same faith anymore for us to take a new hill, because I've watched God do it. I've watched God do it. I'm not rattled by every hiccup. I'm not, I'm not stressed out by every opposition anymore. Come on, we're battle tested. We're stronger. We're fit for the fight. We got some momentum. My favorite, I, I illustrated inertia, so I figure I'd illustrate the power of the second law of motion about objects in motion. And one of my favorite ways to illustrate, illustrate this is something you could do at home tonight. Uh, grab three toilet paper tubes. And even funner, if all you have is full toilet paper, because then your kids get to become the mummy, all right? <laughs> and you take uh, three glasses, and you take a simple pan. It can be any kind of pan you want. We've used all kinds of different pans. And you line up the toilet paper tubes over the glasses, and you got to look at it from both sides and make sure you got it just right. And then you can use limes. You could use oranges. You could use golf balls. You put something on top of the toilet paper tubes. And then you basically uh, disrupt the pan. Now, all that sideways motion you think would cause the oranges 
to fly out this way. But once I disrupt the, the, the toilet paper tubes, so much of the motion was uh, uh, so much of the motion was used to just disrupt the inertia of the oranges, which are currently objects at rest, that they won't get any of that going forward. Just like I didn't get any of the sledgehammer in the chest. And they're going to begin to be in motion. And they will remain in motion. And if this illustration is correct, those oranges should all land inside the glasses. And none of them should end up like the pan going to the side. Exactly how it works every single time. Because objects at rest stay at rest. And objects in motion remain in motion. And that's the power that's waiting for you in 2028. That's the power that's waiting for you in 2030. If we can just follow Jesus, if we can just do it one day and one month and one year, we are going to look back and find that there is some critical mass we've obtained. I love space. It's no surprise. And I love thinking about the massive tanks on every rocket that leaves this planet and how they will be full of fuel to bursting, millions of pounds of fuel in the case of the Apollo missions. And yet I think about the tiny tanks on the actual spaceship that will go to the moon or to the space station. Relatively obscure tanks, but the massive million pound containers full of fuel are there just to break the power of inertia, to slip, Ronald Reagan said it well, the surly bonds of Earth, quoting a poet. And so all that effort just to get it off the ground. And once it's broken the power of gravity, once it's off and inertia has been disrupted and it's now an object in motion, it hardly takes any fuel at all, comparatively speaking, to make it all the way to the moon and back. Because the, the, the biggest part is just to get going. The creator of the Spartan race, he said the hardest part of a Spartan race is not doing it. It's just signing up. For some of you, the hardest part of the next step for you won't be being in a Fresh Life group or being on a team. It's going to be just showing up, just starting. Yeah. It's going to be just signing up for a baptism. It's going to be baptism. It's just going to be talking to your campus pastor. I want to have, be part of a baby dedication. I want to take that rooted class that you guys always talk about, but I, I haven't been through yet. It's not going to be anything in the coming year. Like, when, when, it's going to be hard when I learn to speak in tongues. It's going to be hard when I first lead someone to Christ. The, the hardest part is going to be you just walking away from what's going on right now and showing up for what God has for you next. I wanted to speak one verse over you before we close in prayer. It's a verse from Deuteronomy 1.6, and I didn't have it in my message till this morning. But when I woke up, God put it in my heart to speak over you. And it's God speaking to the children of Israel, who, because of their own delays and disobedience and naked orgy in front of a golden cow, we get it. They're human. Uh, they stayed far too long where they were not supposed to be. And they had failed to enter into where they were supposed to be. And I speak it to you, because you and I all have our golden cows, don't we? We all have the things that have held us back. And if you say to me, Levi, I don't have any golden cows, you probably got 15, all right? <laughs> the Lord our God spoke to us, saying, you have dwelt long enough at this mountain. It's time to break camp and enter in. Do you receive it from the spirit of the living God? You have dwelt too long at this mountain. It's time to break camp and kill some giants. It's time to break camp and get some milk and get some honey. It's time to break camp and place our feet on some places so God can bless us in Jesus' name.
So Father, we thank you. We trust you. We're scared, but we want to follow you. We want to grab that spoon. We want to seize your plan for us by force. This earth has such a pull. But God, help us to want you more than we want anything. Help us to say, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. If that's you I'm describing, and you would say, I just feel this. I, I sense God touching my heart. And you don't have to know exactly what this is going to look like, but you would say, I'm, I'm hearing God rumble in my heart. I want to I wanna take that drastic action. I want to move. Or your word is the steady progression. You're growing weary because you feel like it's maybe not working. You feel forgotten. You feel like you've been buried. And I say to you, you've been planted. You've been sown. You're not forgotten. God's doing deep work in the earth. But you just would say, Levi, I resonate with this. And I want to respond. Could I just ask you, all across our church, you'd raise your hand up if you're responding to this moment, to this message. You're saying, this was for me. I'm not going to end like those men walking away sorrowfully. I want to enter in. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Help us to know the precious from the worthless. Help us to sift and sort those things out. Bless these, God, who are taking violent force to enter into your plan for their lives. You could put your hands down. And I want to now give space and time in our gathering for those who have never made the decision to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord to do so, to give your heart to him. It's not by anything we do that we become a a believer in Jesus. It's just simple faith. Jesus said it this way, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that could be your day today, your day of believing in God, receiving salvation, knowing you're going to heaven, and then taking the steps to follow him day by day and week by week. If that's you I'm describing, and you would say, I want to trust Jesus for salvation, Levi. I want to have the peace that when I am laid to rest in a casket, in a graveyard, my ashes scattered, that I know that I will be alive in heaven. I'm going to do so not on my ability, to save myself, but Jesus' ability to save me by dying and rising from the dead. If that's you, I'm describing church online, every location. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask that you pray it out loud after me. You're like, Levi, out loud. People are going to hear me. Yeah, they will. It's drastic. It's public. There's, there's, there's something of, of it. I'm going to ask you on the chat to write there in the chat. I'm, I'm going all in. I'm trusting Jesus today as well. Let people know. It'll be a victory for you. Say this with me. Say it out loud. Mean it in your heart. God will hear you. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself, but I believe you can. So please come into my heart. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.